Our Old Testament lesson is from Exodus 34, 29 to 35. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for all that you have given to us. God, we thank you on this Mother's Day for the mothers that have uh, given us life and have raised us, trained us in the ways to go. Lord, we thank you for the gift of motherhood itself. And Lord, ultimately, we thank you as the giver of life and the one who trains us all in the right ways to go. Lord, we ask that this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would continue the work of transformation that you were working in our lives. That we would be more and more conformed to the likeness of your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 29. says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. New Testament lesson from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Jesus had been talking with his disciples about what all he must suffer, but concluded by saying, there's some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. We are continuing our sermon series through uh, parts, anyway, of the book of 2 Corinthians as we look at what it means to um, 
Well, I forgot the words now. To live and deliver. There it is. Be living and delivering the message of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last week, we were talking about how we are the aroma of Christ in the world. And to some, that is a good smell. And to others, that is the smell of death. And so we ended last week with a challenge of giving your own self the smell test. And we talked about when we find laundry on the floor in our house and how sometimes we don't know if that's clean clothes that shouldn't be on the floor or if it's dirty clothes that shouldn't be on the floor. And so we have to smell it to find out. So the challenge was to give ourselves the smell test. Do we smell more like Jesus or more like the world? Well, today we will pick up from there. Hopefully you uh, gave yourself that test this past week. If not, you can still do that uh, this week as well. But we'll find out where to go from there. And we begin by looking at Paul's uh, reflection on the passage we just read in Exodus of Moses and his face being radiant when he would speak with God about that old covenant. And Paul compares that to the new covenant in Jesus. Starting in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right. Paul begins where we began this morning, with the message we read from Exodus. Moses presence of God, the radiant face, the Israelites who were afraid at first, and how he would veil his face. And something that has been pointed out is something I'd always missed on this before, which is I thought that Moses was veiling his face so they wouldn't see the radiance of it, because that's what at first startled them. Moses' face is shining because of his uh, experience of the presence of God. But that's not what he's covering up, as Paul points out. He's not covering up that his face is radiant, 
Because he goes in again, talks with God, comes back out, and lets them see his face radiant again. So what is it he's covering up? He's covering up, after he speaks with them, the fact that it's fading away. Why is he covering the fact that it's fading? That seems to be what happened. He would go and speak with God, then he would be radiant for a while, and then it would fade, and then until he went in and talked with God again. But he covers up what's fading, Paul tells us, as a reminder that the old covenant itself was only temporary. That it was only there for a time to lead us to Christ. That in Christ we would have the new covenant, one that is not temporary. In fact, the way in which he contrasts these two covenant covenants, the old, he says, is the ministry that brought death, it's the ministry that condemns, And it was one that was fading away. But, he says, how much greater is that which we have in Jesus Christ, which is the ministry of the Spirit. Not the ministry that brought death, but the ministry of the Spirit, which he had just said in chapter 3, verse 6, is the Spirit that gives life. And instead of the ministry that condemns, it's the ministry that brings righteousness. And instead of that which is fading away, it's that which lasts. And so as Paul considers these two, he says all this time, you consider where Paul was coming from. He's living in the world of Judaism that has been, he's been trained in it. He knows his Old Testament well. And he was firmly convinced this is the way to follow until he meets Jesus. And when he meets Jesus, he realizes, wait a second, there is no comparison Because as much glory as there was in this Old Testament, in this Old Covenant, it was temporary. It just showed us that we were condemned under the law. That none of us could live righteously. That none of us could live the way that we were designed to live. You can see on the back of our bulletin, question 13 of the New City Catechism, which is actually the one we were studying this past week on Wednesday night. I love when it works out that way, don't you? Question 13 says, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? The answer is, since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. Or as Romans 3, 10 to 12 says, as is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Well, that is not good news. That is really not good news. And yet that was the message of the Old Covenant. If you do these things, you will live. And if you don't, you will die. And then we find that over a thousand of years of trying to keep it, there's still no one who does it. And we find that all of us, all of us, deserve death. And Paul says, if this is the message that Moses was receiving, this message that just condemns us, if that message still came with glory, what a greater glory is there in the message that shows us that in Jesus Christ we have life. 
As Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll notice, by the way, one is deserved, the other is not. The wages of sin is death, which is what we deserve. That's what we have earned. But the eternal life is nothing we earn. It's something that is a free gift to us. Paul says that this is the same veil, though. For those who have not received Christ, when they still read the law, it's still the same veil. And so you have people, even today, who have the idea that... A couple things. One, either what you're to do as a Christian, you're going to call yourself a Christian, what you're supposed to do is just work really hard to follow all the rules so that God will accept you. Does anybody know anybody who believes that? I'm not going to accuse anybody here of believing that, but do you know anybody who believes like that? That as a Christian, what you're to do is follow all the rules, work really hard to follow the rules so that God will accept you? That is not the message of Jesus. That was the message of Moses, right? You follow these rules, you'll have life, but nobody does. Then there are others. They say, no, 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 we get it. It's in Christ. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And that is the good news. And it's not until you understand that that the veil is taken away and you start to see the good news of the gospel. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done. But there are those who will err on this side as well and say, since it has nothing to do with anything I've done, then there's nothing left for me to do. I'm not going. I'm just going to keep on doing what I was doing before and just be thankful that God keeps forgiving me. I heard a preacher talking about that one time. He said, uh, to continue living in sin just so that God can continue forgiving you would be like a husband who slaps his wife across the face every day just so she has another opportunity to forgive him. It's a pretty graphic... Uh, illustration, but I think it makes the point that when we continue to live in sin, when we claim to be united with God through Christ, that we are effectively slapping him across the face and saying, I'm so glad you're such so good at forgiving. And then there are those who will see life in Christ as not so much life in Christ now. But for someday, way down the road. In other words, only for life after death. And so, we find those who say, uh, whether you're a Christian or not has everything to do with whether at one time in your life you have prayed a particular prayer. And if that's the case, then you don't have to give it another thought until the day you die, in which case, you know you're good to go, right? There is really nowhere in the New Testament that will agree with this line of thinking at all. Because everywhere, it's a new life, not for some day, but a new life that begins now and continues on forever. And it's not a life that is about avoiding the punishment of hell. 
but it's a life that enjoys the presence of God. This was the problem from the beginning. If you remember, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were enjoying the presence of God until sin came in. And that relationship with God was broken. And we see all the way through what it means to have that relationship restored and the way in which God comes after his people again and again to have that relationship restored between God and his people. And we see Jesus coming into the world and dying for that to be possible, that we can have a relationship with God again. And so for someone to say, I accept Jesus, but I want nothing to do with God or having an actual relationship with him, doesn't fit with the good news of the gospel, which is to restore us to a right relationship with God. So we get to verse 18. I'm going to kind of skip around. Verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces. So if we are those now, like Moses, who who enjoyed the presence of God, have our faces unveiled while we are enjoying communion with God. Because we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit this is the answer this is the answer to what it means to live a life in Christ not just understanding the good news initially but continuing to grow in that. Glad actually Davis has been giving us sound, uh, a soundtrack for this morning. Because sometimes people will think that all that life in Christ means is receiving Him, being born again, and that's it. As though being born is all there is to living. As we all know, there is a growing and maturing process that happens. How it happens, though, is something we get very confused about when we think about how we grow as Christians. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here he says something very similar. We reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness. There's a translation issue in this verse. And depending on what translation you read, it will put one option in the text and generally has the other option as a footnote. You can check your own Bibles for this. The NIV, actually, uh, the 1984 edition has one in the text and the other in the footnote, and then 2011 has switched them. They changed their minds. Maybe every edition will just go back and forth, so you never know what you're going to get. But it's a, it's a word that can mean either, either way, but in English, you have to choose. You can either translate it one way or the other, but it kind of means both. 
And that is that we reflect the Lord's glory or we reflect on the Lord's glory. We contemplate his glory. And as many commentators have pointed out, maybe Paul was going for both because both are true. That as we reflect on his glory, we begin to reflect his glory. As we consider his greatness, we begin to be transformed into his likeness. You may have noticed if you ever see a um, any group of people, any clique, they get together. Say one of your friends starts hanging out with a different group than they used to. You may start noticing start looking like them, start talking like them. You see this in middle school all over the place. But with any group, we'll start who you hang out with has an influence on how you act, how you behave, how you begin to think and speak. The idea here is reflect on Jesus. He is good news. And as we consider how God has revealed himself to us, we see that most fully in the person and work of Jesus. And so it's not that we are just to sit around and start wondering about, I wonder what God is like. Paul says, look to Jesus. Another place says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is where that transformation begins to come from. When Paul says, uh, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What is it we're supposed to be doing with our minds? But thinking about God's revelation of his own character and the person and work of Jesus. Now, we read the silly poem earlier of the kid who watched too much TV and began to become the TV. But there is a sense in which the Bible talks about that idea over and over. The way the line went at our seminary, I think it came from uh, Greg Beale, is we resemble what we revere whether for restoration or for ruin. It's kind of wordy, but it all starts with the letter R. We resemble what we revere, either for restoration or for ruin. To put it another way, we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship, either for good or for bad. We will become like what we worship. However, lest we think this is only a matter of sitting at a distance and watching, like the kid with the TV, Or if we think we will just think about Jesus with no actual interaction. It's not really what this is. As we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want you to understand this is about a relationship. There's a very different thing that happens when you say, you know what, I think I want to run a marathon. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down on my couch and I'm going to watch people on TV exercise and run marathons. 
And hopefully that will just wear off to the point that then when I go out and try it, I'll be able to run a marathon. Well, good luck with that. But I think you know that's probably not going to work. This is not saying just sit there and think about Jesus from a distance with no interaction, with no movement, and just figure that, you know, somehow eventually you'll be changed. This is about a relationship. This is like finding someone who's run a marathon before, who's won a marathon, and having them come over and say, hey, how about I be your personal trainer? Yes, that would be wonderful. And so you go and you start hanging out with them and you start copying everything that they're doing. That's what you eat. That's what I'm going to eat. That's when you work out. That's when I'm going to work out. Those are the shoes you bought. That's the shoes I'm going to buy. And yet you're talking through everything and they're coaching you along the way. And before you know it, you may not be running just like them, but you sure start to run a whole lot better than you used to. And over time... You develop, and you grow, and you grow closer in your relationship to them, and you grow closer in your likeness to them, until somebody who maybe hasn't seen you in years looks at you and says, you know what? You seem like that guy who won the marathon. (laughs) Funny thing. This is the work of transformation that the Spirit is working in our lives. The goal is not to become a Christian become born again and then stay a baby until we die the idea is that we would begin a relationship as we are born again begin a relationship with our heavenly father as we are those who are called children of God and then to begin to grow up into what it means to live as a child of God in relationship with God through Jesus Christ as we become more and more like his son by the power of his life-giving spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.